Today, we give thanks to God for the gift of human life. I was thinking about the gift of human life, especially this past Christmas. This was the first Christmas without my parents. And it was a difficult one, but it also brought back many happy memories. Being with my brothers and my nephews and nieces, I remembered our own childhood. My parents were immigrants from India. They were very strict with us. We were never allowed to throw anything away, especially not food. They wanted us to take good care of all our clothes because they had it to be handed down to the next brother. We were never allowed to put stickers on doors or furniture. Occasionally we did and even used laminating paper to make sure it was permanent. But I remember our dresser never had anything on it until one day there was a sticker and it was a stop sign. And we went up closely and looked at it and it said, stop the thugs at Planned Parenthood. And my dad had put it there for us boys to see. We were very little, we were just happy to have a sticker. But little by little, my dad then said, hey, come and watch this program on TV. And it was a, a PBS program called The Miracle of Life. And we began to see how human life begins at conception, what the process of fertilization was, how the embryo grows and how it develops into a fetus, into a child, newborn baby. And it made a great impact on us that science and television were showing us the truth about human life and its origins. And I remember being about 10 years old or so, sitting at our dining room table. We had all kinds of rules in our family, uh, one of which was whichever boy finished eating supper last always had to clean the uh, table and do the dishes in the kitchen counters. And I would invariably daydream. And uh, so I would have to do the, uh, the kitchen counters and clean all the dishes and everything every night. And one day I was daydreaming. My dad came back from work. My father was a physician. And he looked very worried. And he kept on rubbing his fingers through his hair. And I said, Dad, what's the matter? And he said, well, I have a patient. Uh, and she, she's having triplets. And I said, oh, great, three babies. And, she, and he said, well, she's not really my patient. And it's very risky. And her doctor wants to transfer her to another hospital. Uh, and the doctor wants to take two of the babies out. And I said, take two of the babies out. My father just lowered his head. And there was a moment of silence. And then he lifted up his head and he said, but you know what, I'm not gonna sign that transfer order. I'm not gonna do that. I don't care if they take my license away, I'm not gonna do that. And so he went back to the hospital the next day and he asked the woman if she would like to have her three babies. And she said, certainly. And he said, would you mind if I be your doctor? I'll come and visit you every single day. Uh, I promise. He said, Doctor, I'd like that very much. And sure enough, she carried her pregnancy to term and gave birth to three healthy boys, who must be close to 40 years old now. The woman was so overjoyed, she named the firstborn Sydney after my father, and they put up pictures of the triplets on the hospital wall. I was proud of my dad. He saved three lives that day. He had saved thousands of other lives, but he saved them being a Catholic, right where God had placed him, growing in holiness each day, caring for the gift of human life. 
He was not a superhero. He was just my dad, who understood the need to care for human life, to protect human life, to nurture human life, and to cherish the gift of life. And so at Christmas time, I stopped by my parents' grave and gave thanks to God for their lives and for the life that they gave me. Christmas, after all, is a time of thinking about a woman who carries a child in her womb and gives birth to a child who would be the Savior. But then at my parents' grave, I began to think of my mother. Christmas time now, I miss my mother's food. I miss many of the things that she used to do for us. I even think last Christmas, two Christmases ago, was my last one with her. There are many things that I began to think about, but I began to think about how my mother carried five boys in her womb. My two oldest brothers were born in India. They, my parents came to the United States in 1970, and in 71, 72, and 73, had three more boys. You can imagine the naysayers telling my parents when they were thinking about moving to America, you will fail, you will never make it, you will be back here soon. You can imagine how, as an immigrant, one might encounter prejudice. You can imagine how difficult it must have been for my brother to start in school. But we did, and then three more kids in three years. You can imagine. You're an immigrant, you're poor, you're brown, more kids. Yet my parents generously accepted human life. From that one family, you have three physicians, a magistrate, and a bishop. People told us no, but in this country, we have freedom. And with freedom comes responsibility. And my parents used their freedom as co-creators with God in the gift of human life to bring forth new life, new children of God, and to welcome and cherish and nurture that life. Sometimes I think about my mother and I think about the knock she gave us on our head when we wouldn't get our spelling words right or we made mistakes in English. She was always wanting to push us to be better, to be more. Sometimes I think about how my mother used to patiently iron all our clothes and lay them out on our chairs and make our lunches every day and write our names lovingly on each brown paper bag as we went off to school. I used to think that my mother was just severe with us and disciplined us. But then I went back and watched some of the old eight millimeter films that my father had made of us as children. My mother carrying us, my mother cooking for us, my mother chasing us around the yard. And th there was a great deal of love there. Just as my father had accompanied that woman who was pregnant, so my mother accompanied us as we grew. And there are a number of Catholics who continue to accompany women and their children here in our midst. We have the Walking with Moms initiative to help mothers who are expecting children and their family to find resources for them. There is the Women's Care Center just up the road that helps give pregnancy tests and education. There is Birthright International. There is, uh, there are, there is the, uh, I was just there on Friday, or I guess two Fridays ago, uh, to bless their new facility. There's the Life Care Alliance, which gives Meals on Wheels, which is a, whose executive director is a Catholic. 
All along the way, Catholics are accompanying others on their journey through life, which, like my parents had, sometimes has challenges which they must face. But we do not abandon those in their time of need. Rather, we accompany them. I was born, my mother gave birth to me in September of 1972. In January of 1973, perhaps there was the most unjust Supreme Court decision in the history of this great country, which pitted then mother against child in the womb. I would often think about churches with empty pews. How many people should be there who are not? I think about the seminary where I taught. How many students should be there who are not? I would often have classmates of mine who would say, I'm glad abortion wasn't legal then because my mom was pregnant and was single and I wouldn't be here. And I valued my friends. No, there were difficulties that people face and still face today. But we do not solve our problems simply by getting rid of people. We solve our problems by cherishing people and valuing them. So at Christmas time, I was thinking about my mother, but I was also thinking about my mother because I went with Mark Huddy, who is the director of our Office for Social Concerns, to the prisons. We went one day on the day with those huge snow and ice storms to Chillicothe. It took us two and a half hours to get there and three hours to get back. And the following Saturday, we went to uh, the women's prison in Marysville. Well, when I was in Chillicothe, we had one mass in the chapel, you know, 75, 80 men there all ready to celebrate Christmas because God became a child for them. But then we went over to the gymnasium, and there were the men who were on death row, not knowing if it would be their last Christmas. But they came to worship God, and I began to think they survived their mother's womb. Their mothers must have cherished them and loved them. And even though they have done something terribly wrong and justice must be done, they are still persons, just like an unborn child in the womb, worthy of care and respect. After the Mass, and they were so grateful to have Mass, I talked with each one of them. One of them said, oh, Father, I'm from Cincinnati. I said, really, what part? He says, Camp Washington. I said, really, I was pastor of the Italian church down there. And then I said, what's your name? And he told me his name. And I said, is your mother Pat? And I remember his mother very clearly. She used to come to mass like clockwork. And she always used to say, Father, pray for my son. He's in jail. She never told me what he did or what his, but she loved him. And I think this is one of the things that mothers help us to appreciate. They love their children in their womb. They love them in life. They love them until their death. His mother has gone to her reward. But still, everyone on this earth was someone's child. And we should remember this as we celebrate also the gift of human life and the gift of mothers who bear their children. With freedom comes responsibility, and we as Catholics must use our freedom to help support mothers, to help them raise up children who are virtuous. But again, to build a culture of life, 
we must put a definitive end to the culture of death. The overturning of the decision of Roe versus Wade, as Bishop Burbage said the other night in the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, is not the end, but it is the beginning. It is the beginning of really and truly building the culture of life and the civilization of love. I tell you, I lived every day of my 50 years looking forward to seeing that decision overturned. But now there is much work to done, be done, and I am counting on every person in this cathedral, whether we are a politician, a teacher, layman or woman, a young person, to do his or her part to make sure that every life and every person is respected and valued. Indeed, when my childhood was very different, because also we grew up in the shadow of communism and oppression. We never really believed that the Berlin Wall would, would fall. We hoped for victory, but we somehow knew that it would involve violence, or thought so. St. John Paul II led the Solidarity Movement, and he helped through nonviolent means to bring down an unjust society. And we believed that something better could be achieved without violence. We do not need more violence in our cities and on our streets, and certainly we do not need violence in the womb. Rather, he challenged us on the ash heap and rubble of the 20th century to build a civilization of love. And that is our task. About 10 days before my mother died, I drove to Toledo to be with her. My other brothers were there, and I was privileged to be able to bring my mother the sacraments. She was dying of Parkinson's. But that day, she was clear-minded. And I gave her the sacraments, and afterward, my brothers and I knelt and we prayed the rosary with her. And it was beautiful. And whenever we would leave our parents' house before we would go, we would all take, always take our parents' blessing. Typically, we would lower our heads. My mother would make the sign of the cross on the top of our head and kiss us. Whether it was going up to sleep at night or leaving the house or when we first thing when we came back. But through her, we received the kiss and the blessing, I believe, of God. We came to know something of the tenderness of God. And she would usually say, I love you and God bless you. But we should think about that when we see another person who bears God's image and likeness. God loves that person. God kisses and blesses that person. Who are we to take it unto ourselves to do violence to that person, to tear them down, to destroy them? Those whom God loved so much that he gave us his only begotten son. Those whom that son loved so much that he suffered upon the cross. Who are we? We are wonderfully made by God, as our responsorial psalm has said. And so when other people insult us for defending and protecting human life, we should still say, I love you and I forgive you. We must be passionate about building this culture of life. We are not just against abortion. We are truly 
pro-life in every stage of life, unequivocally and unapologetically so. With every breath of our being, we cry out to the God who is the Lord and giver of life, that we worship and adore him. Indeed, tomorrow is the feast of St. Francis de Sales, the patron saint of our diocese. He wrote a beautiful book called Introduction to a Devout Life. And he challenged us all to be holy, to be saints, right where God has placed us. But this holiness means staying close to God, especially in prayer. He also wrote a book called The Treatise on the Love of God. And Pope Francis, to mark the 400th anniversary of the death of St. Francis de Sales, wrote an apostolic letter called Everything Pertains to Love. These were amongst the last words that St. Francis uttered. Everything pertains to love. Indeed, we need not only to grow holy, but to grow in love of God and our neighbor, who is made in God's image and likeness. We prove our love for God by loving our neighbor, even the neighbor who does not love us back. We prove our love for God by caring for an elderly parent who can no longer care for himself or herself. We prove our love for God by feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and sheltering the homeless. But we would be remiss in our duty, in our responsibility, if we failed to care for the weakest and most innocent members of our society, our children, born and unborn. I look forward to being your bishop for another 25 years. The first 50 years of my life were spent working to see this day. As long as I have breath in my body, I will follow the example of my parents who, to the very last, gave everything they could for the God who is the author of life.